Good morning, and welcome to episode 638 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Perspectives, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Hi, Ben. Hello. We should very quickly update uh, the Bryce Harper nickname situation. It has been, uh, uh, we've been alerted that Mondo, uh, the nickname that none of us had heard of and that didn't seem to have a, a, a clear origin, uh, is actually what his father has has long called him. At least somebody told us that. It'd be a good prank if you're that person who told us that. But uh, assuming it's not a prank, uh, that's what his dad called him for a long time and that he puts on his batting gloves. Um, so Mondo is uh, his, actually his true nickname. Um, so there you go. Yeah, we didn't bother fact-checking that at all. Didn't? Well, it's on Baseball Reference. Yeah, I checked but, baseball but the backstory. You <laughs> no, send us true. a tweet. We will read whatever you said on the air as if it was gospel. Yeah, uh, we probably will. All right. Later in the show, Sahadev will be talking to Alex Pavlovic of CSN Bay Area uh, to, about the Giants. Uh, we, in the meantime, will also be talking about the Giants with Grant Brisby. Hi, Grant. Hello. You are the baseball writer for SB Nation, and you also run McCovey Chronicles and have for 11 years now. Uh, this is year 10, so it's 10 plus. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you started in like January, right? Yeah, correct. Uh-huh. The Dustin Moore days. That's what I remember. I remember when you started, like a third of the posts were about Dustin Moore. <laughs> if there was Dustin news to break, I was going to break it. Yeah. Was there uh, any? Uh, no, but that was my <laughs> motto. Yeah. No, th- there was, because Dustin Moore had had a pretty good year for the Giants the, the previous year, and he was the only guy on the team that would take a walk. He had a 274, 394, 437 slash. He was like the classic like uh, fire hydranty money ball player of the era. That's all we really knew to look for at the time was, does he walk and is he fat? That was Are you, are you looking at the, at the page right now, the stats page right now? I am, yes. Defensive uh, war. Uh, all right. <laughs> so <laughs> Terrible, right? Like, at the time, it would have ruined his whole value. I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, actually, uh, yeah. He, in a half a season, he was a minus seven defender. And he, what, he, the big thing with Moore is that he dove, he made a diving catch in foul territory mm-hmm. that allowed a runner to tag up, right? And he should have just dropped it. Right. And that run cost them a key game. And so, I don't know if, if I'm remembering this narrative quite right, but... From that point on, it was like, uh, I don't know, some people just didn't like him because he was seen as having blown that game or something like that. Anyway, after the offseason, they, I think, non-tendered him, and it was considered like the most Sabian thing ever. We were super mad, and it was right around the time that McCovey Chronicles started. So uh, I remember thinking that was a pretty damning uh, indictment of Sabian at the time, probably because that's what you were writing. (laughs) <laughs> you fool <laughs> yeah and then he went to colorado and did nothing and he right. was out of the league two years later right never regain like he never like when he was in minnesota he was always like striking out three times as much as he's walking he gets to the giants and he's like barry bonds yeah uh, literally like barry i mean just just <laughs> but and then he left and he just continued his hacking ways it was just that one brief dead cat bounce yeah it was crazy uh Grant, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. 
First thing is I would request that you please retweet my article about Bryce Harper's nickname <laughs> from three years ago. That's a thing I'm going to be asking guests to do from now on. Uh, but while you're here, um, first I wanted to tell you that Emmanuel Burris hit six home runs in AAA last year. Yes. I he think hits- I, I tweeted that at Grin at some point, right? Didn't we Didn't yeah, we so. remark yeah. about that? that? That's an amazing power output from him. Right, because he had six home runs as a pro before in like 10 times the plate appearances. And he hadn't, as I at some point documented, hadn't hit a ball over an outfielder's head in any capacity in three years. Uh, and then he hit six home runs. And so this makes him, and he was in a different organization. So uh, despite the three World Series, we can conclude from this that the Giants coaching staff uh, is underqualified and should all be fired, correct? Yeah, that's pretty, pretty damning. I mean, it's. I'm assuming they're all in, like, Albuquerque or Salt Lake or Colorado Springs or something, but uh, that's pretty damning. Right, so uh, we've got, right, the, got the Dustin Moore segment covered. we got the Manny Burris segment covered. What, okay. What next? Segment so, straight to Eugenio Velez. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I guess we'll ask a question about the Giants for real. Uh, they won a bunch of World Serieses. Are they going to win another bunch of World Serieses? I mean, probably not. I mean, logically, right? Even if I can look at it with the biggest rose colory fanboy glasses, there's just no way. But I said that after 2010 and 2012. But seriously, I mean, it's there. There's no way, right? You get. You, you have to agree a little bit, like. I'm looking at the the pitching specifically. Every one of the pitchers, every one of the pitchers has this gigantic red flag of some sort. And this spring, they've all just been so horrible and just validated every one of those red flags. Wait, what's Bumgarner's red flag? Just that he threw 700 innings last year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's not. It, they don't have to be the brightest. It could be like a magenta flag, uh, like a maroon. Uh, you know that it, 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 they're shades of red flag. Um, were you it, were you onto Bumgarner even before the postseason? <laughs> onto him, <laughs> like an NL manager who was quoted in Lyle Spencer's article yesterday, bragging about how he found out about Bumgarner even before the postseason. Oh yeah, you know we were tracking that. We were tracking that for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you know we were tracking that. Uh, 2013 we were on that uh 2012 we were on that wow 2011 we were we were covering that wow 2010 have you ever seen uh this is the uh uh, i would i would guess that because the uh extra innings having been thrown in the postseason is mostly it seems like a giants meme that the giants are constantly talking about it because of this every other year thing um and because, you know, it, it has affected them, if it affects them, it has affected them more than any other team over the past few years. Uh, have you ever seen anything credible on whether that's legit, a legit concern? No. I mean, I've seen people do the, the studies and they usually come up with, yeah, maybe. You know, it's, 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 I mean, it's so tough to just, because this era of the new, You've got an extra round, and you've got an extra two rounds compared to what they were doing a few years ago. You've got an extra three rounds compared to what they were doing a decade ago. But then those teams were – they were four-man rotations, and they were 300-inning pitchers. So it's it's hard to get like the right analog to, to really match up with exactly what the Giants have done for the last five years. So every study kind of like, well, yeah, it might 
be good. It might be bad. We don't know. So that, I mean, as far as what I'm not professing to know what's out there uh, in the sabermetric world in general. I mean, like every little nugget, but from what I've seen, it doesn't seem like there's a consensus. Something you could really point to and nail down and go, oh, you know, that sort of thing. When I am preparing for these segments, I generally go and look at the winter report card things that Cliff Corcoran and Jay Jaffe do at Sports Illustrated, and they have the key departures and the key arrivals. And for most teams, those are pretty long lists of names. And on the Giants' winter report card, there are two names on key arrivals, and one of them is Casey McGee. Yes. <laughs> Should there... Should there have been more arrivals, or is it at all surprising? I kind of look at the depth chart, and like the bullpen is a perma bullpen, right? It's the same. It's like the same. No one brings back the same relievers every year. The Giants bring back the same bullpen every year. The one part of every team that turns over like crazy. Even the Giants have like a bunch of five-year guys in the bullpen. It's, this, but it keeps working. It's freaky. It, yeah, it shouldn't work. I mean, but it's like the, the new guys in the bullpen this year should be Gene Machi, who's been there for two, you know, two years, and Yasmira Petit, who's this is going to be his third season with the team. It's like those are the new guys, the new faces, the, the guys that have to carry the Hello Kitty backpack filled with, filled with pixie sticks and such. Um, but yeah, it, it, that shouldn't work. Um, but it, it, it has. And you can argue whether that's great scouting and just picking your spots or just complete blind luck. I mean, it's it's less blind luck when you get to guys like Affelt, who has a very unique profile where he is lefty, sinker baller, can still get an occasional strikeout, no discernible platoon splits. Like that that should be a guy that you commit to. Uh, Javier Lopez, I mean, he pitches, you know, what, four innings every year because he's he's facing a, a third of a batter per per third of an inning. You know, he's he's doing you know, extreme micro appearances. So, OK, you can see that guy lasting until he's he's 100 and, and that sort of thing. So I guess when you break it down individually, it sort of makes sense. But should they have done more? I would I would think so. Like, I think there there could have been something creative. I mean, I can't imagine. Billy Bean coming, even if, if he had won the World Series with this roster, coming back and just saying, I think this is pretty much it. Like, I'm not saying that's what Sabian should have done, but I think there's something creative, some sort of, uh, you know, 63-part move that might have worked out that that could have rallied the fan base a little bit more in the offseason following that run. But uh, I, I'm not, like, super bitter over the offseason. I mean, it, it's not like he traded away the base for ridiculously unvaluable players and, and doing uh, stupid, stupid moves. I, I think it, it all makes sense kind of in, in, in isolation. Well, they did the they did the same thing. He did the same thing after 2010. He did the same thing after 2012. Um, I wrote about uh, standing pat specifically as a Brian Sabian strategy to see if it worked after 2012. I mean, it seems like there's if you win the World Series, why not have a little celebration? I mean... I, I kind of don't really mind it. You're probably, you know, you probably have a pretty good team. It's, you have a lot less stress on you to, uh, you know, to win another one, I guess. And uh, so why not have a little victory celebration to just have a parade? It seems like the one year that you could do that and it would be more fun. It's not like Saber. Like, I know it's not Saber to say that. But I don't know. Aren't you kind of glad that the whole gang's back other than Panda? Yeah, no, I, I I enjoy it. I enjoy that part. And for the most part, most of these moves 
aren't like crazy bananas. It's not like he's just like Cody Ross. Here's a six year deal. You know, you are going to, you're going to be at the front of this parade. You're going to, you know, here's your Cody Ross statue. It's like they had kind of like, well, Brandon belts coming up. Should we sign Aubrey Huff? And then they got a two year deal done after his outstanding year and it didn't work out, but he had an outstanding year and to get him on a two year deal. Why are you going to argue with that? Uh, bringing bring back Affelt, uh, Casilla, they, they've been productive. It's in isolation. It all makes sense. So I, I'm still waiting for like the, the crazy, I guess the Scudero deal, three years and Scudero is like 53, you know, that, that maybe you could have sh- at the time, you know, who were the, the second baseman who lasted beyond 38? It's like Biggio, but he moved to center. It's like Joe Morgan, but he's Joe Morgan. You know, so so you could kind of maybe point to that as the one that just was never going to work. But most of the moves, it, it's it's bringing back everyone, the fan favorites. Let's celebrate together at the same time. That there are, there's a little bit of pragmatism to it. They reacquired also, Tim Lincecum's dad. They, that was that's a huge deal. I is mean, it? Yeah. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Whether we actually would change our expectations for Tim Lincecum one percent or any percent, would you? No, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's not, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a nice story, but, uh, I just can't see what Chris Lincecum would see that Dave Rigetti, who's at the top of his field, wouldn't necessarily see. I mean, I guess it, it's nice to have more eyes on everything and everyone can come in and, and drop the, the, you know, the, uh, the atomic idea that, that makes everyone realize what's, what's going on. But I, I just can't see what, what, Chris Linskin would see that Rigetti wouldn't see. Can I stick up for the Scudero thing real quick? They, it, yes, it was three years, but really it was two years of money. Like it was three years and 20 million, which is just not a contract you ever see. So you normally see two years and 20. And I, my kind of hypothesis is just that it was going to be two and 20. And then like Sabian just sort of managed to wiggle a third year out of it. But, you know, $20 million for a guy who was, you know, coming off. Uh, not just a really good season, but the years before that. This is his wars before that. Two one, two seven, two six, five three, four four. I mean, in, over those five years. So basically, you only need him to be, you know, a three win player over those three years, like a total of three wins. And he almost got there. He was worth two and a half the first year, and then he broke. But I don't know. I kind of thought the Scudero one was just fine. And you, you don't, there were no options. Like I was arguing for it because they, were, they couldn't go out and get Cano. They couldn't, you know, they, they, there wasn't options. It was to uh, call up Joe Panic a year early or to, uh, I mean, they had terrible, terrible options. Like players we've already forgotten about. Um, so, so yeah, it did make sense. But it was still, you could kind of see the red flags. Um, all right. So why is Yusmero Petit not in the rotation? I want him in the rotation so bad. I wanted him in the rotation last postseason. He's really good, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. And so, you know, what is this? I don't know. I mean, it, it, after his, he got rocked, I think, a little bit in his last spring outing. But uh, before that, he, he had, he, he, you know, he had this really great, uh, typical petite spring outing where he, he was, out, was outstanding command. He's missing bats, and so the response is. Is this the second best starter on the staff? And is he seventh on the depth chart? And have you ever heard of that? Like, I don't know. I'm a huge, huge fan. So I'd love to see him every fifth day. I think it's going to happen eventually. I mean, I don't, 
I guess after, I'm not expecting Lincecum to, to be in the rotation all year. Uh, it, maybe that makes me a bad fan, but uh, I, I don't I don't see it. And then, I you know, Vogel song. I, I think he's going to adapt fairly well to middle relief, long relief. Uh, but uh, I see him in the rotation at some point. It's it's like Gregor Blanco just a, appearing in the outfield for like, you know, 130 games. It's just going to happen. So I think we'll get a chance to see it. But I, I do think he's. At the bare minimum, one of the five best starters in the Giants organization right now. So I don't know what they see if they just really like having the security blanket of him as the sixth starter. Because, you know, he was perfect with that in the postseason. And it, it showed, you know, kind of his his value to that. But last year, I don't have the stats in front of me, but the Giants were like 4-18 and 18 in his appearances. I mean, it, they just used him totally as a mop-up just after the game was completely lost. I'm going to look that up. Yeah, well, that's what, I mean, that's what happens when a guy is your sixth starter, essentially. You need to keep him stretched out, and therefore he gets used uh, in long relief. If they, I mean, if they thought he was going to be a dominant reliever, like based on his 47 straight batters retired or whatever he did last year, uh, and they were going to bump him up to the eighth inning or something, well, then you could say, oh, well, the leverage there and it's needed and whatever. But, I mean, you don't get the sense they're going to do that. You get the sense that they'll probably use him the way they did last postseason. And that worked out last postseason because they happened to have an 18-inning game that he threw six shutout innings in. But, like, that's not the norm. And you could have very easily seen us coming out of that postseason being uh, frustrated with how he was used. Uh, and therefore, you can bring that forward and imagine being really frustrated in May. Because, I mean, I keep mentioning this on this stupid podcast that we do, but yeah, he was really good as a starter toward the end, uh, and uh, nobody else was <laughs> in that rotation other than Bumgarner. So, in in his starts, the Giants were seven and five. The total team record in appearances that he for games he appeared in was twelve and twenty seven. So doing some quick back of the envelope math, they were five and twenty-two when he came in as a reliever. He was basically just whatever, just go in there, and we don't care what happens. So and it, that's not the best way to use him, and I, I think that's what he set up for this year, especially with Vogelsong being in the bullpen to start the year. I was reading a post on Brew Crew Ball about the low number of Tommy John surgeries that the Brewers have allowed over the last ten years. They've Allowed the fewest for major league players, but the Giants are at the top of that list with 11 Tommy Johns in their entire organization over that span. And I feel like I don't hear a lot about that. I hear a lot about the Brewers not not allowing Tommy John surgeries. I hear about the Rays not allowing Tommy John surgeries. Never really hear about the Giants. Is there is there ever any attempt to figure out how they did that or or how they are doing that? I mean, I made a, a conscious effort. I mean, I saw the Brew Crew Ball post. I had it open in a tab because I was like, should I write about this? <laughs> but I've, I'm in that weird nexus of like hyper rational, superstitious baseball fan to where it's like, I'm not going to be the, the, the butt head who's going to write about the Giants have the lowest amount of Tommy Jones <laughs> surgeries. Like, I just don't want to hear it. Like, I don't think I'm affecting like you know, the astral fate of the Giants if I do write it. But I don't want to hear it if I write it and then the next day there's bad news. So uh, I don't – I mean, how do you test it? What could they be doing differently? Like what would be 
the this you know ligament money ball ligament ball that they are figured out that other teams have like I, there's got to be just like a measure just like anything else baseball like a measure of luck a measure of you know maybe they are scouting the right guys that, you know and some of the players on that list that were listed as uh, giants tommy john surgeries were guys they drafted knowing they needed tommy john like uh brian wilson brett bochi uh guys like that who they, they drafted and basically you know said come with us we'll rehab you um and i i don't i can't imagine how that would be 60 percent skill I, I mean i mean i understand when you get up to the top and, and you've got you know the braves are just it maybe there's something you have to look for there as uh, something b- contributing to the problem but when it comes to avoiding it i just don't know uh you know i, I just don't know what they would be doing different well um i mean here's one thing and i was going to mention this when we were talking about the reliever consistency it probably is simply correlation and not causation but uh the giants had the uh their relievers last year had the 28th fastest average fastball their right. starters had the 29th fastest average fastball mm-hmm. they've just never really been a team that threw a, a lot of gas other than wilson who had tommy john and i mean even timmy when he was throwing hard was like really kind of low mid 90s right right uh, you know, in, in the the peak lexicon, he would touch upper nineties. But yeah, for the most part, he would sit lower mid nineties. Yeah. The other reason you don't want to write that article about the Giants never getting Tommy John is that there's a very thin line, Grant, between being lovable Grant, who's just happy with all this success his team is having, and being the Cardinals, and everybody turns on you <laughs> overnight, <laughs> and you are like Will Leach, where like everybody just subtweets everything you write, even though they still love you. <laughs> It would be I could I could go for that experience. I mean, I've never had that experience. Will is definitely more successful than you too. So maybe actually you should go for that. That's fair. 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 And more likable. Like internet wise or in person wise. I've never met him in person, but yes, I have. He's charming. Okay. Uh, so, so who uh, comes out of the huff? San, uh, let me rephrase. Uh, with the Huff Sandoval fight, who is now the guy that the Giants don't like in that? Who came off better or something? Uh, you know that that's kind of a false dichotomy because I think you could still kind of roll your eyes at Huff, and while at the same time just being a little bitter about Sandoval. I mean, all he had to do was shut up. Uh huh. I mean, it's I'm. I'm still like grateful for the last five years and him being the first, you know, all-star hitter the Giants produced since Matt Williams. I mean, he kind of, if there was like a herald of the good times ahead, it really was Sandoval. I mean, the pitchers came in and they did their thing and, and, and the Cy Youngs and the all-stars and all that stuff. But he was kind of the herald of, you know, come on, this is going to turn around now as soon as I arrive. And I, I was always going to love him and I still will always love him as, as a Giant. But all he had to do was just not be bitter. And so Huff, you know, he, what he said, it, it throws fuel in the fire. And, you know, I bet, you know, I know that there's a lot of guys in the clubhouse who feel like this and, and, and all that stuff. And, and that's fine. I don't I don't think it's necessarily going to going to make I don't think 
what he said was going to turn anyone against Sandoval. I think if you are already kind of looking for a reason to be bitter at Sandoval for being bitter in this bitter off, that that kind of just it, it, it turns you the, that way. Just okay, yeah, you know what, Sandoval, it's a little bit sour grapes. Like, yeah, we didn't need him. That guy, that guy was bunk anyway. So, I don't think anyone comes off looking better. I just I think that Giants fans, and I'll include myself, and just like as I'll speak for myself rather that I I just was was sort of hurt by it. I mean it was I mean come on just just say yes I love the panda hats everyone was great high five but I had to move on. Do you think that uh, he would get booed if he played in San Francisco uh, as a visiting player this year? And do you think that uh, he will keep talking to the point or doing things to the point that at some point? in his career he will come into San Francisco and be booed? That's a good question. I don't think he'll keep doing it. I don't think it's going to be a hot enough story once the games start. I think this is something that's born of uh, spring just nonsense. Uh, you know, he had something to get off his chest. I don't think it's going to – I don't think it's something festering that he's going to keep going back to. I think if he showed up right now, he might get booed. I think in a couple of years, whenever the Red Sox come back into to AT&T, I don't think so. I mean, the Giants give standing ovations to Jeff Kent, who went to the Dodgers and played well for the Dodgers. And now he comes back, he gets standing ovations. So even if the next time there's sort of that clap boo, the, the, the standing ovation booing roar, boo clap thing, uh, Time will heal that wound. Eventually, he'll come back, and he'll be the the, the lovable scamp who helped them win three world ch- uh, championships. It's stipulating that that the Giants win all the World Series and the Dodgers don't win any of the World Series, is it somewhat intimidating to be in the Dodgers division right now? Yeah, I mean, it, you don't want to you don't want to lose to them ever. I mean, it's just growing up. I mean, when I was growing up as a Giants fan, and I I don't know if you had a similar experience, Sam, but uh, like the biggest moment, like this, the moment we could all rally around as Giants fans growing up was the time that Joe Morgan helped the Dodgers miss the playoffs. And it, it's like looking back, it's just the saddest like thing to rally around. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the Giants' success. It's like preventing the success of a team that was recently successful and would be successful again in the near future. But that one season, like, <laughs> yeah. we got them. Like, you poked them in the eye. And so, like, that's kind of the mentality that's built in with, you know, the the urine stench and the, the wind of candlestick. It's, like, layered on and lacquered on, and it, it's hardened in, in Giants fans, I'd like to think, you know. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it's something you think about, and especially now that you've got – the the possibility that there could be a Giants Dodgers National League Championship Series, and that it's something that's haunted me for you know ever since that was a possibility with the wild card setup, and it it it's just it's a haunting scenario, and so them being this big financial power juggernaut in the division doing smart moves now i love their offseason i love i love what they're able to do, uh, it, yeah it's it's intimidating. But, I mean, at the same time, if they win the World Series this year, you get to have that Trump card that's so obnoxious of, yeah, well, do it twice more. You know? <laughs> and it's just so delightful. Uh, but, yeah, it's intimidating to answer the question. Would you rather see the Giants make the playoffs 
or would you rather see the Dodgers miss the playoffs this year? This year? This so year, the Dodgers yeah. miss it entirely? Miss it entirely, not even the wild card. Giants, Giants finish fourth, but the Dodgers finish fifth. Do you take it? Oh boy, it's it, this is like a let's like what's what's in the box, you know? Like you're this is straight up game show network. What's in the box? Uh, I would not be displeased with that scenario. I think I would have to take what's in the box and see what the Giants can do because there would be no better troll than to win foreign in six years, um, even if that's. A 5% chance. I, I would go for that. And just if they win the title, if they win the, the pennant and they go in the World Series, you know, I, I would take that fallout. But I think I would go with the Giants making the or having a chance to make the playoffs at least. All right. Give us a prediction. Win total, finish. Uh, win total, 84 games, second place. I want to ask you, wait, one more thing. Yes. Uh, so... Nobody roots for injuries. We're we're all good, decent people. Right. Even when we do root for injuries, we we don't admit we root for injuries. So let's just all agree we're not rooting for injuries. But let's say there's an injury. Okay. Yes. The yes. amount of injuries in the world is a constant. There is going to be an injury, and you can either have that injury go to let's say AJ Ellis Ooh. or Clayton Kershaw. Ooh. Who do you choose? Do you root? Knowing that the injury is a constant, knowing that nobody, no extra person is going to be hurt in this scenario, do you do you uh, root for it strategically? Sam Miller, this is a gotcha question. <laughs> this is you're playing gotcha journalism. Look at you. Uh, does it have to be someone on the on the roster? <laughs> it has to be someone on the roster. Yeah. It can't. It, it can't be like Putin or something. <laughs> <laughs> see on the dodgers now they got everyone um i you know what uh, i would do like so it, it's it's there's someone in front of me with powers in saying i have to choose right yeah okay so in that situation i go for the 25th man on the roster mm. just okay. because i like watching kurtz uh, kershaw pitch too much when the Giants do beat him one out of every eight times, it's that much more satisfying. And if the Giants were to come and win the, the 2015 division, uh, I wouldn't want to hear, well, yeah, but we didn't have Kershaw. So all those factors and just just not being a, a bad person. I, I think I would go 25th man on the roster. Can I, can I have them? Pick up AJ Pruszynski on waivers <laughs> before opening day. <laughs> then it makes it that much easier. All right, are we done here? Or Putin. I think we're done, done here. Pruszynski or Putin, one of the two. <laughs> all right, Grant Brisby. You all know him. You all love him. He is at SB Nation. He is at McCoveyChronicles.com. He's on Twitter at McCoveyCron. He also wrote the Giants essay in the PP Annual. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Grant. Yes. And coming up after the musical break is Sahadev speaking to Alex Patlick.
Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, Associate Editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me is Alex Pavlovich, who covers the San Francisco Giants for CSN Bay Area. We're going to preview the 2015 Giants. Uh, Alex, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, we're, we're looking at a team that's coming off a world championship, but they have that, uh, that odd year curse. Uh, it's the, I, I'd say it's the best curse you can get where, where yeah. you get to, where you're allowed to win championships, but, but you, but only in even years. I mean, how do fans, does anybody take that, like any legitimacy to that? Does the team just kind of have fun with it? What's the reaction to, to this, uh, uh whatever you want to call it curse, maybe. Oh, I, I think a, a large segment of the fan base, actually, you know, whenever things happen, when, when Hunter Pence got hurt, I mean, the first reaction from, from a lot of people on Twitter was, well, it's an odd year. Here we go again. So uh, I do think a lot of fans, either jokingly or, or maybe a little bit seriously, uh, uh, do believe in that, that odd year curse. Well, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully they at least have some fun with it because, uh, like I said, it's it's one of the better curses to to have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, there there has been some drama in camp. You mentioned uh, Pence uh, being out for a few weeks, uh, but Pablo Sandoval said some things basically that uh, the front office kind of uh, insulted his agent maybe or him with the negotiations and and then he said the only people he'd miss are Bochi and Hunter Pence what was uh, it have the have the Giants just kind of been brushing that off have they been angry about it what, what was the general reaction I don't think anybody's angry I think some people are a little surprised just because there he, he did have you know I I, I never know how friendly some of these car guys are outside of the clubhouse but he did have guys in there who supported him and and guys who in tough times had his back and guys who when he left, you know, Tim Lincecum surprised me. He's not a big social media guy, but he put up an Instagram post right after Pablo left kind of, you know, thanking him for everything. I think it was a nice picture of Timmy and Pablo hugging after one of his no hitters. So there were there were a lot of guys in there, Gregor Blanco, Angel Pagan, guys who were maybe at least close to him as far as teammates go. So to single out one teammate and one coach, I think that was a little bit weird, but I, I think, you know, a lot of guys in there also understood that that he was out for himself quite a bit and, and not quite um, a fit with some of some of the other guys in there. So I, I don't think there's too much anger, and, and I, I really think they've moved on. Uh, as far as replacing Sandoval goes, they've got Casey McGee at third. They signed him. He's, you know, he, he's not a superstar by any means, but he, uh, when he's going right, he's a pretty solid player. What, how, how is McGee handling, uh, you know, taking over for a guy that had the position locked down for a while, and and it, what are the expectations for him? Well, first and foremost, it's been a great fit. I, I think just in the clubhouse, he's one of those guys who likes to to just talk baseball, and and after he. If he faces someone in live BP, he's the guy who goes up to them right after that and, and explains what worked, what didn't. Um, he, I know he spent a lot of time with the other infielders and, and trying to figure out kind of what what their positioning is. I know he's talked to outfielders and, and guys in the lineup. I mean, he's just been a, a great fit in the clubhouse. As far as what he needs to do on the field, I, um, you know, two of his teammates in the last week just randomly chatting with him have said, we want Casey to do exactly what he did last year. We're not asking him to to hit 16 homers like Pablo. We're not asking him to, to, to um, be Pablo. They just want him to do exactly what he did. They think if he can go out there and, and be a, you know, a, a 280, 290 hitter, hit, hit a few homers, drive in runs. These guys all love someone who, who drives in runs, and, and he did that last year. So I, I think 
the expectations for him aren't too high. And, and really, if you can just go out and, and, and give a pretty close replica of the season he had from the Marlins last year, I think the Giants will be happy. I, I think the fans will, will really come to like him. You know, you said they're not looking for McGee to really pick up all that slack from Sandoval, but are they expecting guys like maybe Belt or a younger guy like Panic to maybe step up? And and especially early with Pence, uh, I'm not sure how how much he's going to miss of the regular season, but I'm assuming it's a few weeks. So who are they looking to to kind of pick up that offensive slack? Yeah, I think Belt, even before Pence got hurt, was a guy who really, you know, the lineups might, might go a little bit as Belt goes because – they they did not just you know it wasn't just Pablo it was Michael Morris too so you lost 32 homers from last year and as much as they like to talk about you know we've won without home runs and, and they did they won in stretches last year without hitting homers they did it in the postseason for the most part even though everybody obviously remembers Ishikawa's homer and Morris's homer and, and Belt's homer but they were a team that found little ways to score a run so I I think they feel like they can do that but they are going to need some power and, and it's going to have to come from Belt because a lot of the guys in that lineup just really don't have the potential to to get to double-digit homers, especially in that ballpark. You know, uh, the rotation is is pretty interesting. There's, you know, Bumgarner at the top. He was the talk of the postseason. How is he handling, uh, you know, that that star turn that he's kind of had? He's finally now – he's always been a very solid pitcher. It's almost like the expectations may be too much for him uh, as far as nationally after that amazing postseason, he's he's always been a solid to to you know near ace level, and now people just expect him to be Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, he, you know he's handled it well right now. I, I think it'll be interesting to see during the season, especially when we go on the road. I, I think a lot of fans who didn't really know who he was probably saw him in October and, and thought this guy's superhuman. So I I, I think the expectations are going to be way too high for him. But he's been a, he's been a really good pitcher. I, I think he was fifth in the Cy Young last year, so. He's been right there the last few years. Just obviously, what he did in October was historic, and, and there's no way he can live up to that. But right now, it it, it seems like he's on the right track. He, he's kind of they've been watching his arm a little bit this spring, but for the most part, everything looks okay. And, and for the most part, he's been able to handle everything that's been thrown to him. I mean, it, it's a few more photo shoots here and there, a few more interviews with, with national people. Um, when the TV cameras come to town, it, it used to be Buster and Pence and and Timmy, and, and now Bumgarner's right in the middle of that. But he's been able to handle all of it just fine. You know, uh, Bumgarner's getting all the attention, and, and rightfully so. But, uh, you know, a guy that was just at that level not too long ago uh, and has fallen off for multiple reasons. But Matt Cain is coming back. And what's his health? What's his status? And and is it kind of nice for him to kind of be under the radar and maybe he can just – you know, quietly uh, get back on the scene and be that, you know, near ace pitcher once again. Yeah, you know, they're probably going to throw him in that number three spot behind Bumgarner and, and Peavy and just stick him right there between Peavy and Hudson. So the expe- expectations, I, I think, for him are, are lower than they've been in the past. And, and certainly coming off injury, I, I think people just want to see him healthy first and foremost. And he's, he's on the right track this spring. Hasn't really gotten too many pitches in, but they feel like he'll be okay for opening day. And, and if he can get anywhere close to to what he was, you know, really when he got before he got hurt last year, he struggled a little bit, gave up a lot of home runs. But if he can get anywhere close to what he was in, in 2009, 2010, 11, 12, um, that guy, you know, it, it really gives him a chance here because you look at the rest of the division, and, and yeah, the Giants have Baumgartner, but these other teams have Granke and Kershaw and, and Shields and Kashner. So you, you really have to have two guys at the top there. And I, I think his their best bet at, at having somebody who can kind of run with, with Madison. 
And you mentioned him before as one of the former faces of the team, and he's kind of fallen off the last few years. He just hasn't been the same pitcher. He's one of my favorite guys, uh, Tim Lincecum. You know, I'd love for him to get back to you know that Cy Young level. I just don't think that's that's realistic anymore. But what what is his ultimate role? Is he is he just a back end rotation guy that you hope eats innings? Does he you know have a second uh, career as far as maybe a a reliever? I mean. Yusmira Petit actually has the role that I thought Lincecum would have been perfect for, kind of eating up innings in a high leverage uh, situations. Petit had, has done a great job with that, but uh, maybe Lincecum has. A, I don't know. I, I don't know what his future role is. I, I'm just curious what what he sees for himself, and maybe what Bochi sees. Yeah, it's funny. I think people always talked about kind of what Petit's doing now is is something that Timmy could do, maybe even at a higher level, and and they just. They've kept him out there, and, and they, they keep believing that he can he can go out there and, and be a, a formidable starter. And I, you know, he has these stretches where he—it's not just the no hitters; it's these stretches he has for for three or four starts where he's the best guy they have. And, and you think, God, if he can just do that for two or three months, it, it'll be worth having him in the rotation. So they they keep throwing him out there, keep hoping for that. It, I think he got off to a good start this spring and and went back to working with his dad. He went back to throwing a ton in the off season, which. It's kind of how he, he became who he was originally and, and really looked good early on in live BP sessions. But he has a stiff neck right now, which is set him back a little bit. So it, it'll be interesting to see what he looks like in April. And, and really, you know, it'll be interesting to see how long the leash is because this is a guy who was pulled from the rotation last year. And, and now it's not just Petit, but Ryan Vogelsong's in the bullpen too. So if, if he's out there struggling for two or three weeks and, and they're, you know, sitting there in third place, I, I think it's going to be hard for, for him to, to get too many starts. You know, I, I think uh, Bochi made some headlines the other day, kind of lit into the team uh, for their poor play in spring. You know, sometimes you can read into spring training numbers a little too much, but I think most people know that, uh, you know, we try not to look at the actual stats. But did he have, was there, does he have legitimate concerns for the team? Uh, are there any specifics that he's really worried about, or is just the overall lackadaisical play maybe not uh, as focused as you want to see as the season approaches? Yeah, I think it's just general sloppiness. It's just, you know, every single day seemed to be the same. They'd go out there and, and, and get a couple runs early, and then you look up and, and they're down 6-2, to two or, or the next day they lose 10-4. to four. It's just been, you know, little things here and there. The, the infield has, has made a ton of errors, and guys are going up there and, and really not having good plate appearances and, and really not hitting the ball with any authority at all. And Just the whole team kind of, uh, you know, not the whole team. There's been a few guys who have, have been hot here but for the most part I, I think probably like 80 percent of the guys have just looked tired the last couple of weeks so uh, i think that's a concern given how late they played into last october you want to make sure everybody's well rested and want to make sure that these guys they figured out last year how to turn it on in october when they by most accounts were not the team that should have won a title but you want to make sure they don't come into this season thinking look we can turn it on again at the end and and win again they need to go out there it's it's a much tougher division than it's been i, I think that's the message Bochi has tried to send you, you can't expect to just be in the postseason and you know turn the ball over to Bumgarner you have to start on April 6th and, and go from there you know the, the uh, Brian Sabian and the Giants in general it, I think it's over now for people criticizing Sabian uh, maybe stat uh, stat forward people used to criticize him but I think we've all we've all accepted that this guy you know he may do it differently than we'd like him to but he he, he gets it done <laughs> I think the three championships kind of prove that uh, but but they also they get 
they get, don't get as much credit maybe as they deserve for uh, their analytics and, and what they do, the, their forward-thinking ways. And I think Ron Wotus is one of those guys on the on the coaching staff who who's really helped this team defensively. What What's he done to, to make this team better? Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. There are guys in that front office who don't, you know, their names aren't out there nationally like some other guys' names are, but it's a group that really has embraced analytics and, and they have their own stuff that other people don't see. They've been doing things at AT&T Park that other people don't have access to and, and it's worked. And and I, I think that perception that these guys are all just, you know, old scouts and, and playing the game the way it used to be played, I, I think that's totally wrong. And, and Wotus is a great example. He's, he's, you know, somebody who believes in shifts as, as much as anybody. And, and uh, you saw last year, they started shifting a lot more than they have in the past. And, and that was Ron Wotus who was, leading the charge there, and it really paid off at times. So it, he's a guy who's – I've always thought he should be a manager. I, I can't believe he hasn't gotten a look at it yet, but he's a guy who really is, is kind of a, a forward thinker on that staff and, and, and fits well with other people who are more experienced, other people who bring other things to the game. Um, and really you add it up, and, and it's just a really good coaching staff. Uh, Alex, before I let you go, I'm trying to ask everyone here. This isn't the key to the giant season, but it's uh, what you're looking forward to as a writer, a storyline, an event, whatever it may be. You're going to be watching a lot of this team this season. Uh, what, what's going to intrigue you the most? What are you What are you excited to write about? You know, I, I think it's a guy we've talked about already. Just seeing what Baumgartner does next is, to me, fascinating because, I, you know, you you kind of look at guys now and, and start thinking about their legacy. And, and I, I think ever since Buster won a second title, you can start thinking about this guy going down as, as one of the best catchers of all time. And, and I, it's pretty easy to look at Bruce Bochy and say Hall of Famer and, and look at Buster Posey and say, look, that guy can, can be a Hall of Famer too I, if he stays healthy. And, and now I look at Bumgarner too and, and just wonder what can this guy do because he's only 25. He's already, you know, has a reputation as one of the best big game pitchers we've ever seen. And, and uh, has three titles. He's been in the Cy Young race. He's been an All Star. Um, so you wonder what's next, and, and that's just fascinating to me. I, I, you know, you hope he stays healthy first and foremost, and and then after that, you, you see what he can do for an encore because he he is somebody. Tim Hudson the other day said he's he's borderline OCD in, in the way he prepares and the way he he tries to get better. And, and every single season, a couple springs ago, he told us he wanted to be um, a better defensive player. He wanted to hold runners better. And I, I think there was a survey last year of, of managers who said he was had the best pickoff move in the National League. And, you know, last spring he told us he wanted him to be a better hitter. He goes out and hits four home runs and, and two grand slams and, and wins the, the silver slugger. So every year he seems to add something. And, and I just, as a writer, that's exciting to me to, to see where he takes it. I, You know, I he's good friends with Clayton Kershaw, and I'm sure he's sitting there going, I, I have the rings, but... I want to go after Kershaw's Cy Young Awards. So I, I think that'll be interesting to see if he can take the leap and, and get to the next level. Yeah, he just seems like a, a good guy. And the stories that were written about him during and then after uh, the playoffs it just uh, you know really made it easy to like the guy. And it seems like a genuine person with uh, you know more interest than just baseball and, and also just you know, just a great story. Yeah. Something that makes it makes uh, baseball fun. And, and the reason we all love watching and covering this game, uh, Alex, why don't you let the, the folks at home know where they can uh, find you on the internet as far as Twitter and where they can read your work. Um, yeah. On Twitter, it's just my full name, Alex Pavlovich, but there's no H at the end. P A V L O V I C. And, and all my work is on CSN So I have a, a long Crawford piece up right now. If, if anybody really wants to go in depth on defense. So, 
yeah, I appreciate the time and, and uh, hopefully people check it out. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, joining me and uh, congrats on, uh, I know you're new at CSN Bay Area, so congrats on the new gig and looking forward to reading your work there. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Sahadev Sharma. You can follow me at, on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. That's Alex Pavlovich, Giants uh, reporter for CSN Bay Area. Thanks a lot, Alex. Take care. All right, that's it for the Giants Preview Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Send us emails at podcast at baseballprospectus.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes and support our sponsor, The Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com, subscribing to The Play Index using the coupon code BP, and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We have one more show this week. It's tomorrow. It's the Tampa Bay Rays. Three, two, one. What number? I knew it. <laughs> I don't even know what a bowel is. What? What is the bowel? So we're the yeah. ASAP rock of baseball podcasting. <laughs>